You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 55 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for April 2018. So another solo show this month, uh, just little old me to keep you entertained. Um, but we're, we're switching tack very much back to the more factual style shows I have generally tended to do for these solo episodes. Um, those of you who listened to episode 54 will know that I went very much the other way last time. I went very much into the area of opinion. I'd like to think it was, uh, well, it was a genuinely held opinion for a start, and I'd like to think I articulated it in such a way that I at least supported my point of view. And although I was apprehensive about doing an opinion-based show, I actually got a lot of really positive feedback from you guys. Uh, so, A, thank you for taking the time, and B, noted I, okay, I get that, you know, from time to time I have leave to go opinion-based, but I'm not going to do it every time for the simple reason that I only enjoy doing an opinion-based show when I have a genuinely strong opinion that has me actually excited, and that doesn't happen all that often. Um, and I really enjoy trying to explain techie stuff or more practical hands-on stuff, and so that's kind of where the show, that's where the show has been, and that's kind of where I think the show is going to stay most of the time. But whenever something gets me going, as um, Alison Sheridan from the Nasilka said, whenever something blows my dress up, I will feel free to have another opinion-based show as and when it suits me. Anyway, enough said. So we're back to a facty-based show this time. But usually the, the, the rule is tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. That's one of the earliest, um, I, I think it was back in my students' union days. And yes, I was student union-y person. I was into student politics. Um, but back in my student union-y days, we were sent on a training course for public speaking. Um, and that's pretty much the only thing I remember from that training course. It was that the key to any good presentation is tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. And if you look back at previous facty-based podcast, that's pretty much the model I adopt all the time. Except for today. Uh, Today, I'm not actually telling you where we're going. I'm going to ask you to please take a leap of faith and join me on a journey that starts with a line. Okay, so in your mind's eye, imagine a straight line, any length you like, some sort of finite length. I'd like you to imagine that the left of that line represents total blackness and the right edge of that line represents total whiteness. And this line is going to be with us for our entire journey and this line represents the data as it comes as the input to your photo editor of choice. And your photo editor of choice is then going to start mucking around with that line in such a way as to alter your image and do some sort of editing. So today's show is all about editing. Uh, So in your mind's eye, imagine that line. So left edge, pure black, right edge, pure white, and all the shades of 
brightness in between um, are in between, evenly spread. Uh, and in this case, we're interested in the brightness of things. So we don't really care whether it's, you know, which color all the different pixels are. We just care how bright they are from, you know, fully white to fully black and everything else is, is in between those two. And uh, So if we start with that line... And then we could use that as the bottom of a graph. So we could use that as the x-axis of a graph. And what will pop up on the y-axis, the vertical axis, is how many pixels in our image have that given brightness. So if we have three pixels that are pure black, then we'll pop a little bar three pixels high on the very, very left of our graph. And if we have 10 pixels that are absolutely pure white, we'll pop 10 pixels on the other end. And if we have a 1,000 pixels that are exactly 50% brightness, then we'll pop a 1,000 high spike in the middle of our graph, and we'll check how many at each possible value between fully black and fully white, and we'll draw them on the graph... As a little bar chart, we might join up the tops of the bars into a smooth curve. And what we have achieved is what is known as the histogram. So a lot of cameras, when you're taking pictures, will let you see the histogram. A lot of editing apps will let you see the histogram. The histogram is simply a graph of the pixel count against pixel brightness. So the x-axis is pixel brightness, the y-axis is pixel count. That, that is all a histogram is. But it's a very good way to visualize things. So if your image is sort of a regular image and it's properly exposed, what you kind of expect to see is a so-called bell curve. You want to have very few pixels that are either pure black or pure white or close to it. So you want your graph to be very low at the left and right edges. And you want lots of your pixels to be in sort of the middle ranges of your brightness values. And so what you want is low, curving up, peaking around about the middle somewhere, curving down, and back to very, very low on the other tail. So two long tails and a pointy bit in the middle. Not pointy, sort of a, a nice gentle up and down hillock in the middle. A little hill in between the two. If you've overexposed your photo... The way it would look on a histogram is that the hill is shifted to the right. And the way it would look if you've underexposed your image is that the hill is shifted to the left. If you've clipped the highlights, that is to say that you have lots and lots of things in your image where you have lost all detail because there was stuff there that was brighter than the brightest your camera could record, then instead of it being a nice smooth flow-off towards nothingness on the right edge you'll have an abrupt cutoff because actually there'll be thousands of pixels or whatever that have a value of pure white. And so what you'll see is the curve, instead of smoothing back down, touching the x-axis as it reaches white, it'll just be abruptly cut off. So you'll have your normal curve shape, but it'll just be chopped off. And likewise, if you've smothered the shadows, you'll see exactly the same thing, but on the other side. And if you're seen simply has too big of a dynamic range for you to capture in a single image, both sides will be chopped. 
So if you're looking at your histogram and only one side is chopped, well then use a bit of exposure compensation or, you know, dial one of the many dials at your disposal, the aperture dial or the shutter speed dial, all the things we've talked about, and just retake your picture, exposing a little bit more or a little bit less, capturing a little bit more or a little bit less light through whatever mechanism you want. Basically, you have the exposure triangle at your disposal, so, you know, alter it whatever way you like, but either make it brighter or darker. You shift the histogram, you stop chopping off whichever end is being chopped off and all as well. But if both ends are being chopped off, then the only thing you can do is bracket the shot. Take multiple photographs of the same scene with different settings so that you capture the dark stuff in one image, the bright stuff in another image, the middle stuff in a third image, and then you combine those multiple images back together inside some sort of HDR app and out pops your HDR image, which captures the entire dynamic range. Easier said than done, not really the topic for today, but the point being, just seeing the shape of that graph is actually extremely useful. And what I'm describing here, where there is, all we're measuring is brightness is the simplest kind of histogram. But you could do three histograms, or maybe even four histograms. So let's keep the histogram I've described, where you're measuring brightness versus pixel count, and we'll put that histogram aside. And we'll do a new one. And this time, we're going to do... um, We're going to keep pixel count as the up and down axis, but on the the horizontal, on the x-axis, our line is now going to represent... On the left, still utter nothingness, black. But on the right, the amount of red in the image. So pure red pixels will be all the way at the at the far right of our graph now. And a pixel with a little bit of red in it will be, you know, near the bottom. And a pixel with a lot of red in it will be near, I say the bottom, near the left. And a lot of red will be near the right. And something with half red will be smack dab in the middle. So now we have a histogram showing effectively the red pixels in the image because the way our digital cameras actually work is that every one pixel in the final image is three physical pixels on your sensor a red pixel a blue pixel and a green pixel or gb red green blue uh and actually while if the thing is just too bright then you're going to saturate all three pixels that make up a pixel sub pixels i believe they're actually called if you saturate all three subpixels, you get your classic clipping. But when you're taking a photo of something that is very strongly one colour, and probably one of the best examples would be something like a red rose, you can have a photograph that looks, you know, the, say the green background looks fine, the thorns look fine, but the petals have no detail. Where Where is all the detail gone? Well, the answer is those petals are clipped, but only on the red. So basically there was too much red and the red fell off. And that may not be obvious in a traditional simplistic histogram where it's just brightness you're measuring because those that rose petal contains pretty much only red light. So on average it's not overexposed because there's almost no green and almost no blue. But in the red channel it's massively... So that red subpixels are way overexposed. So that would become obvious only if you do a red histogram. And you can imagine it's very easy to do a similar one for green and for blue. And so maybe if you're, you know, some, in fact, if you're trying to do green screen, you actually want all the green pixels to be blown out from your green screen. Um, anyway, that's a whole different kettle of fish. So you end up with four copies of our line with four little bar charts. 
And a fancy photo editor will not... Okay, so your camera will probably just show you the simplistic one. Maybe your camera will let you see multiple ones. Every photo editor will show you the simplistic one. And maybe photo editors will let you switch between either brightness, red channel, green channel, blue channel. But a really the creme de la creme of histograms will take all four of the histograms I've just described. So the simplistic, let's just measure the brightness of each pixel. We'll forget about the fact that they actually came out of three subpixels. We just measure the brightness and graph it. And then we have our three subpixel-based ones where we actually accept the fact that our images are made up of red pixels, green pixels, and blue pixels, and we graph each color, each color of pixel independently. So how many of the red pixels are at this brightness? How many of the blue pixels are at this brightness? Etc. Etc. So if we take those four possible histograms and we color one of them, say, is just a master black line with maybe a, a grey background that's semi-transparent, and we put that at the back, and then we stack on top of that one with a, red, a histogram where we have the tops of each of our spikes as a red line, and then some semi-transparent red background, and then we superimpose them on that the blue, and superimpose on that the green, you get basically a histogram with four lines, and the reason you can tell them apart is because they're in four different colours, and then you can see literally all the information that matters in terms of exposure. You can see the average brightness overall based on the black line, you can see what's going on with the red channel, the green channel, and the blue channel, and you'll be able to spot, you know, plain old overexposure clipping, and you'll be able to spot, uh-oh, I've blown the edges off one of my color channels or two of my color channels or three of my color channels so that is what you'll see in really nice photo editing apps you'll see that sort of the multicolored histogram and that's all that's going on there so i started with our line and we've turned it into a histogram so that's stage one of our journey we have ourselves a nice histogram so what's the next thing we can do well we can imagine a second copy of the same kind of line. So we have our line, which is blackness or darkness on the left and whiteness on the right. Now imagine we have another one of those lines and we just put it straight above, completely parallel to our first one. The bottom one is the one that we're going to keep with us all the way through and that represents the raw Okay, I don't only mean raw, the original, the image we are editing, uh, whether it doesn't matter whether it's JPEG or raw or TIFF or GIF or whatever it is, right? The original, the, the image that is to be edited is represented by our bottom line. And the image that is output from our edit is represented by the top line. So if we do no adjustments whatsoever, then what you would expect, or not just what you expect, what will happen is that Everything on the bottom line maps straight to everything on the top line. And so you could imagine histograms sitting on the top of it or whatever, and it just projects straight across. So the input is exactly the same as the output. I sort of imagine in my mind as a projector projecting through the input straight onto the output. No change. Uh, Now, when you're in your photo editor, what you will find in general, but it doesn't really matter what editor you use, Adjustments aren't randomly scattered throughout the UI. They're grouped. And they're grouped into sort of related features. And one of those groups is basically the things related to brightness. They will be grouped together. And they're actually what today's journey is about. Um, Our little line is all about that. So the four 
most common or the most simplistic four sliders that relate to brightness are the one that's usually called brightness or lightness. So we'll come to that one in a moment. Then we have black point and white point, and they're very much related, and we'll come to them next. And then the last one we have is contrast. And so we'll come to that one after we've done the other three. So let's start with the brightness slider. The absolute easiest way to imagine what that slider does is so I'm saying think of the output as being a projection of the input. Well, if you take that output and you just move it left or right so that it its white is no longer parallel with the white of the original, then you basically have what the brightness slider does. So it has the effect that a, a pixel which is you know half white on one will be half white plus a little bit on the other. Or if you slide the slide the other way, half white minus a little bit on the other. So it's like you have your original line at the bottom and then our line representing the output is just slid horizontally left or right so that everything is brighter or darker. And if you think of it in terms of histograms, you're literally just picking up and moving the peak of that histogram left or right, jiggling it around so that it looks closer to correct. So if you're using the histogram in your camera, you could out in the field choose to expose more or less. But you're not in the field anymore. You're at home and you're in Photoshop or Lightroom or the Photos app or whatever you like. It doesn't matter. Pixelmate or anything. They all, they all do these same basic things. Even Preview, for God's sake, does the same basic stuff. So the brightness slider is just sliding the output left or right relative to the input so that all the pixels get brighter or all the pixels get darker. Very, very simplistic at it. Just basically take the original value for every pixel and plus it by this much or minus it by this much. Very naive, very simple at it. And the effect you can imagine it having is sliding the entire histogram left or right. And that works, right? It's, it's, it's actually a useful adjustment a lot of the time. It can get you out of a lot of trouble. It can be a good first thing to get right. But it's not particularly complicated, and it doesn't take much imagination to see what's going on. So we can put that one aside quite quickly. Next, we come to a pair of very much related sliders, because they're actually sort of the mirror images of each other. And that's your black point and your white point. So let's imagine again our input line at the bottom, exactly as it's always been, black on the left, white on the right. And we have our output line at the top, black on the left, white on the right, or dark to light. Because we're really talking about brightness, not necessarily just monochrome. Works for colour too. Um... If we project everything straight up, that means we haven't adjusted the black point or the white point. But imagine we look at our histogram and we see that not only are there not many pixels at the edges of the two tails of our bell curve, but there's actually like, there is no signal there. There is simply nothing in our image that is pure white or anything close to it. And there's nothing in our image that's pure black or anything close to it. So what we see is a very narrow histogram centered on the middle. So our original images line, it represents the full scale from white to black, from black to white. But there's actually no data on vast chunks of that scale on the two outside edges. Now, the end result of that kind of a scenario is there is nothing in your photo that's pure white and nothing in your photo that's pure black. So when you visually look at it, or pure dark and pure bright, whether it's, again, colour or monochrome, doesn't matter, what it will look is flat and uninteresting because the only thing you're going to have is basically midland tones. 
you know, blues that are not very blue, greens that are not very green, reds that are not very red, whites that are not very white, and blacks that are not very black. Like, looking at it through tracing paper, it's going to be a really flat image, frankly lacking contrast, lacking any sort of definition or anything like that. It's going to look really boring. And a white point and black point adjustment can let us deal with that. So the way you should think of it on our friend the horizontal line, there are no pixels using those leftmost and rightmost values on that line. So what if we imagine that we choose a point a little bit in from the left where our data starts? And we choose a point a little bit in from the right, which is where our data starts on the other side. And then we take what's in between those two points we've just defined, one of which is the black point, the other one is the white point, by the way. And then we stretch just that little bit of our original so it fills the full width of our output. And so you can imagine that on a graph as you pick a point, you know, a third of the way in from the left and a third of the way in from the right. And that would be a very dramatic edit, by the way. And then you project that out like a parallelogram onto our output line with those two points, a little, you know, a third in from each side get projected out to be at the outer edges of our output image. So we're basically stretching everything in between the black point and the white point so that it is pure black and pure white on the output image. And that's actually literally what the black and white point sliders are doing. And so the effect that has in our histogram is that it gets pulled out so it takes up the full width of the output image. And that now means that you have what you want, which is a proper bell curve. And I say what you want. Do bear in mind that, you know, for your average photo, that's what you want. If you're taking a photograph of a snow scene, your histogram will be up towards the whites because, you know something, there's an awful lot of bright stuff in a snow scene. If you're doing astrophotography, the peak of your histogram is going to be way over to the left because, you know something, the night sky is dark. But anyway, let's just get that out of the way before anyone nitpicks. On average, a normal, regular daylight image, you want your peak in the middle. And so your black point and or white point can be used to stretch your histogram so it uses up everything between black and white. And the end result will be a much more pleasing image because it will have, you know, deep blues and light blues and deep reds and light reds and deep greens and light greens and dark pixels and bright pixels. It will have the full range. It won't feel mushy. It won't feel low in contrast. It won't feel low in definition. It will be punchy, contrasty, pleasant, all those good words, because it will contain a nice mix of bright and dark pixels. So that's three of our four sliders dealt with. Right, now, moving on to contrast, I'm afraid things get a wee bit more difficult. A contrast adjustment isn't a simple stretching or sliding of our input to our output. So the brightness slider was just sliding it left or right, and the black point and white point is basically taking a subset of the original and stretching it so that it fills the full width in the output. They're very easy to imagine things. What you're trying to do with a contrast is you're doing two things in one, really. You're making the darks darker and the lights lighter. So for some of the pixels, it's equivalent to turning the brightness down, while for other pixels, it's the equivalent of turning the brightness up. And that, you can't represent that with our friend the single line to a parallel output line very easily. However, there is a way we can visualise what's going on with a contrast adjustment. And it involves us taking our output line and moving it. 
So again, our friend the input line is never going to move in this entire little thought experiment journey thing we're on together today. So it's still black on the left, white on the right. We take the output line that's parallel to it, and the first thing we do is we slide it right down so it's lying completely over our input line. So black is on top of black, white is on top of white. Now you take the white corner, rotate it 90 degrees anti-clockwise, so that it's straight above the black of our input. So instead of having two parallel lines, we now have a, a corner where black on both lines is in the bottom left, white on the output is straight above black on the input, and then black white on the output is all the way over to the right. So basically, our x-axis is the input image, and our y-axis at 90 degrees to it is now our output image. And if you're thinking, I think I've seen something like that somewhere, the answer is you have in a curves adjustment. So the next thing I want you to imagine, so we now have our x-axis and our y-axis. x-axis is the input, y-axis is the output. Now we're going to draw a line, and that line represents the mapping from input to output. And we're going to start with a line that says do nothing. So black on the input should become black on the output. Okay, so one corner of our line is then anchored at, you know, the origin, the zero, zero point of our little X and Y axes. And white should go to white. So the other point of our line is up in the very, very top right corner of our axes. And then if we join the two together, we get a line that represents, just copy everything straight across. It's a line running at 45 degrees. From the origin, 45 degrees up. So from the bottom left corner to the top right corner at 45 degrees. That line means do nothing. Just take the input and send it straight to the output. So if you move one third of the way right and you go up until you meet the line and then you project across from the line onto your output, you will be one third of the way up. So one third becomes one third. Two thirds becomes two thirds. A half becomes a half. Nothing becomes nothing. Everything becomes everything, right? It's a straight mapping from the input to the output is a 45-degree straight line on this new X and Y axis setup, which is, in fact, a curves adjustment. Because what what are we trying to do in terms of boosting contrast? We want to darken the dark pixels and lighten the bright pixels. So what we need to do is we need to... Instead of having a straight line at 45 degrees, we keep the two end points anchored where they are. So the two ends of our 45 degree line stay put. And what we do is we bend our line. So for the first half of the 45 degree line's journey, or the original line's journey, we want our line to be below 45 degrees. So you imagine we're bowing down from the imaginary 45 degrees. And for the second half, we want our line to be above the 45-degree line. So we're brightening all the light pixels. And what you end up with is a very gentle curve that has three points where it exactly meets our original straight line. It meets it at the two end points and in the middle. But on the left, we're below the straight line. And on the right, we're above the straight line in a very gentle S-curve. And that S-curve defines... A contrast boost. Now, how far we go below and above, because it's got to be symmetric with a standard contrast slider. 
So how far we deviate from that 45 degree line is the amount we pull the contrast slider. And by the way, negative contrast means we do the opposite. Instead of darkening the darks and lightening the lights, we lighten the darks and darken the lights, which is just the same S-shape, only mirror image of itself, where everything in the lower left is above the 45 degree line and everything in the upper right is below it. So we can adjust contrast both ways by having that S-curve, you know, pivot by a different amount off the 45 degree perfect line. And when you're doing a contrast adjustment, that's exactly what's happening. So we take our do-nothing line and we symmetrically change it around the midpoint, keeping the two ends put. So that's our main sliders dealt with, but let's let's go back in let's go back a little bit. What would it look like to do a white point or a black point adjustment? Actually, what that involves doing is taking our 45 degree line and having it not go at 45 degrees because instead of one of the ends of the line or both of the ends of the line being at black, black, white, white, we move those ends away from black, black, white, white so that they come somewhere else. And then we have, that is entirely equivalent to the black point, white point slider. It's just moving those ends so that they're not in the corners. And so we can have a black point, white point slider, and at the same time, a contrast slider, and then it's basically we take our S shape and we have it not meet at the ends. And then we have a white point adjustment and a contrast adjustment, and a black point adjustment and a contrast adjustment. So that line, we can represent almost anything with. And actually, sliding the brightness just moving left and right, that's a very, very naive edit. A much better edit would be Again, we imagine our 45-degree line, but instead of the, the brightness slider shifting everything brighter or darker, we leave black and white alone, and we just move the middle pixels, the mid-tones, we brighten or darken them. And so that's equivalent to taking our 45-degree line, grabbing the middle of it and pulling the middle up or down, but keeping it as a nice smooth curve. And then we have a more intelligent brightness adjustment. So now we've represented everything we could want to do on this curves adjustment. But the power of a true curves adjustment is that we can manipulate it literally infinity many ways. So we can put a control point anywhere on that original 45 degree line and drag up or down. And then we can click anywhere on the resulting curve and drag up or down. And then we can do it again, and again, and again. So we can turn that shape into pretty much any shape we want. Now, in order for the image not to look immediately catastrophically stupid, what you want is no corners on that line. And so all the photo editing apps that have a curves adjustment will always smooth out the curve. So you put in three or four control points, but you're not going to have a jagged line ever. It's always going to get smoothed out. Some sort of Bayesian curve, probably. Um... And you just get to control by making more and more control points and moving each one up or down. You get finer and finer grain control. So one of the things you might want to do is you might want to boost the contrast, but actually the brights don't really want to be brightened a lot, but the darks need to be darkened a lot. Well, you take a control point somewhere in the bottom left of the graph and pull it down a lot. So you're darkening your darks a lot. 
and then you pop another control point somewhere, you know, sort of the top right bit of the line, and you pull it up a little above that 45 degree line. And so your brights have been brightened a little, your darks have been darkened a lot. You now have a way more intelligent contrast adjustment. Maybe you don't want to touch the brights at all, in which case put your second control point in the middle and sort of don't let the top bit get pulled too far up. So only pull the darks down and leave the brights where they are. And you can play and tweak and play and tweak until everything's absolutely the way you want it. So that is a curves adjustment, and that's what you're doing. And it's extremely powerful. Maybe too powerful. And so there is another adjustment that's really common, which is actually a curves adjustment in a very thin disguise. It's actually a dumbed-down curves adjustment. And that's the so-called levels adjustment. Imagine our curves adjustment with the possibility of having infinitely many control points. And instead, we replace that with a more simplified version where there are exactly five control points. Always you keep your extreme, you see your bottom left and your top right, your extreme ends of the 45 degree lines. They stay. You put a control point in the very middle, which controls the midtones. So the two outer ones control the black point and the white point. The control point in the middle controls the midtones. And then you put you basically half the distance from the middle to black and from the middle to white, and you put control points in those two. And they are effectively your highlights and your shadows. And now you have the sliders on a typical levels adjustment. Midtones, shadows, highlights, black point and white point. They are just a curves adjustment with predefined control points. A finite set of five predefined control points. So that's why I will always call a levels adjustment a poor substitute for curves adjustment, because it actually it genuinely is a curves adjustment in disguise. But instead of letting you click anywhere and create arbitrarily many control points, there are exactly five control points, and they are at exactly the two outer edges, the middle, and then halfway between the two. So that is the journey of my friend, the imaginary line. So we've gone from the histogram to brightness adjustments, black point, white point, contrast, curves, and levels. All from imagining a line that goes from black to white, from dark to light. I hope that was helpful in helping you visualize what those different controls do to your final image. And what it is photographers mean when they talk about things like the histogram and a curves adjustment and those kind of things. And also maybe why some of the jargon comes into being. So you might hear people say that, oh yeah, you need to push that a bit to the right. When they're talking about a histogram, they're talking about making the image brighter. Or pull that a bit to the left, they're talking about making it a bit darker. Because they're they're thinking, they're visualizing the histogram and seeing its point and thinking, no, the peak of that mountain should be to the left or to the right. Anyway, that's where I'm going to, if you'll excuse the terrible pun, a draw a line under it for this month. Um, <laughs> but uh, just before I leave you, and uh, my usual little bit of plugging to be done. So um, first and foremost, you will find the show at www.letstalk.ie. In this case, there's actually no detailed show notes. There's going to be very short show notes, which is basically a paragraph that says, join Bart in a trip to discover a line or something to that effect. But in general, 
there are detailed show notes to go with episodes, or at least vaguely detailed show notes, or example images or whatever. But in this case, not so much. Uh, what, the reason I'm mentioning the website, since there's very little there, is you can obviously listen, you can subscribe, um, but you can also find in the left sidebar on an episode page or smack dab in the middle of the homepage, I think, a collection of large blue buttons under the heading Support the Show. And I very much appreciate it when people make use of those buttons. So, just to say, you didn't hear an ad. And the reason for that is basically because I I don't like ads. Um, I like the freedom to be able to podcast at the behest. And basically to be able to express each and every one of my opinions honestly because there is no advertiser I could possibly offend. There is no one's toes I can possibly trot on and basically have a perverse incentive to bite my tongue. So the freedom of having no advertisers means that I can be honest with you and you, the listener, know that I don't have an ulterior motive and I'm not shilling a product I don't believe in for my own financial gain or any of that stuff. So that's the upside of the show having no advertisements. The downside of the show having no advertisements is no money comes in by default. Um, Which is why there are buttons for you guys to support the show. And so it is wonderful to me that you do that. There are enough of you doing that, that this show, in terms of the absolute raw paying for the really basics, now pays for itself. And that is amazing. And I am so thankful to you all for it. It What it doesn't yet do is cover the not day-to-day costs, which are also very real. I mean, it's not just a case of having web hosting and bandwidth and all those kind of things. There is also the fact that from time to time I need to buy myself some new equipment and from time to time, I need to buy myself some new software, and that sort of capital expenditure isn't covered yet. Definitely, my computer has not been paid for. My mic, well, actually, my mic that I'm talking to now was donated by a very kind listener. Um, thank you, Alison. So that's been paid for. Um, but, you know, th- there are things, boom mics, adapters, all sorts of things, um, that haven't been paid for. So the show doesn't quite cover itself really in terms of true economics. But we have reached the milestone where it covers itself in terms of the monthly recurring bills. And I thank you ever so much for it. So before I ramble on for too long, the best way, the single most effective, okay, not best, the most effective way of supporting the show is Patreon. Because it's a mechanism designed to allow small dollar donations, and I use the word dollar very loosely, because it's not necessarily dollars, small amount contributions from many listeners to come to a podcaster in such a way that it doesn't all go on PayPal fees. Because if you donate a small amount through PayPal, PayPal get almost everything, I get almost nothing, and it's cost you the same amount. And that's just a terrible waste. Whereas if you support the show through Patreon, then the vast, vast majority comes to me. A small amount goes to one single monthly PayPal transaction from them to me. That's how they managed to do that. And a small amount goes to Patreon as their fee for the service they provide. And obviously they're a financial they're a company, they have to pay for their own bills, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's a very efficient way of getting money from you to me without all the middlemen taking it all. And it's much fairer, you know, in terms of how it ends up than lots of small PayPal donations. So Patreon is the single best way to support the show. And it has the advantage from my point of view that it gives me a pretty regular income so that I have monthly bills coming in. I have money, monthly Patreon money coming in. 
I put one against the other, things balance out all as well. So that is why Patreon is just so effective. There is also a PayPal button for the simple reason that rather than committing to give me, you know, a dollar per episode or something like that, some people prefer to just say, here, Bart, have a tenner. Here, Bart, have five bucks. Here, Bart, have 20 quid if you're being really generous. And PayPal is simply the best way to do that that's available to me. So that's why the PayPal button is there. And um, some of you push that, you know, every year, every six months or just once. It's all appreciated. You know, it all helps. And, uh, you know, thank you very much, everyone who has pushed that button. And then there's some indirect ways of supporting the show. There's a Zazzle store that almost no one uses, um, which will probably go away soon, if I'm honest about it. I I basically set it up. I bought a few things with my own logo on it for my own use so that I can advertise my own shows. And one or two of you have bought things, but to be honest, almost no one uses a Zazzle store, so it'll probably vanish. But for now, there's branded merchandise there if you want to be a walking advertisement for the show. And then there are two other buttons, which are for the nerds among you, and only for the nerds among you. There is an affiliate code for a hosting company called DigitalOcean. They actually host all my, pretty much all my websites now, um, including letstalk.ie. Uh, and if you use that button to sign up for them, then you get some money off and I get some money off. Or I get some money off my hosting bills, basically. Yeah. So you get some money off your hosting bills, I get some money off my hosting bills. But only if you actually go ahead and sign up, and only after you have spent $50 with them. So it may take a few months until any money comes either of our ways through the affiliate code. So just clicking on it achieves nothing. It's only for people who actually need actual hosting. And similarly, there's an affiliate link for Hover.com, who are the domain registrar I use for all domains apart from .ie domains, because, oh, there's so many because of there. Uh, let's not go into that now. Um, so let's I talk that IE isn't with Hover, but all of my other domains that are not .ie are with Hover. Um, and again, in this case, it's uh, more unidirectional. You click the button, you buy something, I get a thank you for sending you towards Hover, and you don't get anything, I'm afraid, apart from the satisfaction of helping the show. Uh, and then finally, the actual, actual most effective way of supporting the show is to tell people about it. Share the show with friends and family who may be interested in it. Review the show in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Tweet about the show. All of that genuinely helps. Because if people don't listen, then why bother? You know. So everyone who supports the show in any way, financial or otherwise, thank you very much. And I'm now going to stop blathering on. Let's have talk E. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. So you can find me personally at bartb.ie. And until next time... Happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hey, David, this week on TechFan, let's talk about Apple. Uh, don't like it. Yeah, okay. Uh, Windows? We can talk about Windows. Boring! Um, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of cool things in 3D printing going on. We could we could talk really? about... Cool? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, uh, what about, like, uh, Raspberry Pi? We've we've discussed that in the past. It's TechFan. No! Uh, you're, you're just being difficult now. What do you want to talk about this week on TechFan? How about we talk about Apple, and then a little bit about Microsoft, and then the Raspberry Pi? You suck. <laughs> <laughs>